0: Listener supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing with our program Foundations in Faith. I'd like to um, today take a look at maybe a couple scripture readings. Um, We're familiar, of course, with the prologue of the Gospel according to John that starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things came to be. Not one thing had its being but through him. All that came to be had life in him, and that life was the light of men, a light that shines in the darkness, a light that darkness could not overpower. It goes on, then, and talking about the Word, the Word that was the true light, that enlightens all men, and so forth. So with that as background, I'd like to go back, maybe, and look at a uh, passage from the first chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews is kind of a mysterious uh, letter in the New Testament for a very long time it was considered to be a letter of St. Paul. Then scripture scholars um, challenged that, and it was generally accepted that the letter was not written by St. Paul. And now we find some kind of reaffirming that it was. But certainly the reason for suspecting that it was not written by St. Paul is it seems to have a very different tack, a very different vision, And a very different manner of expressing itself than, than did the, the normal Pauline letters. But let's look at this. Let's keep in the back of our minds now, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so forth. Let's keep that in mind. And then let's listen to this passage from the letter to the Hebrews. It begins, at various times in the past, and in various different ways, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But in our own time, the last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, the Son that he has appointed to inherit everything, and through whom he made everything there is. He is the radiant light of God's glory and the perfect copy of his nature, sustaining the universe by his powerful command, and now that he has destroyed the defilement of sin, he has gone to take his place in heaven at the right hand of divine mercy, So he is now as far above the angels as the title which he has inherited is higher than their own name. God has never said to any angel, you are my son, today I have become your father, or I will be a father to him and he be a son to me. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. All right, Now, there's a few things that I think would be kind of helpful for us, because overall, what we're going to try and look for today in these scriptural passages is something about an identity of the Word that is spoken to us, first of all, in the book of Genesis, is reaffirmed in the prologue of St. John, and is discussed here and explained in this letter to the Hebrews, so that we're aware of the fact that there is kind of a consistency that runs through the uh, the scriptural passages and the revelation of the identity of the Christ, and that in running through these passages, we find, for instance, that what John says is already an ancient truth; that what Hebrews says is already an ancient truth anchored very deeply in the very beginning of the oral traditions of the Old Testament, of the consciousness of the people who follow the Lord. We know, for instance, that in the early stages of development of any person or institution, there tends to be a kind of simplicity to the whole thing, a kind of clarity to the whole thing. And then, as it progresses and as it develops throughout the centuries, throughout the ages, that simplicity tends then to become complex. And it tends to become complex because it accrues as it moves through time and through human consciousness. All of the cultural baggage and insight of the ages of the experience of God's creatures, of those created in his image and his likeness. And so sometimes it becomes such a massive burden to carry in the concept in an article of faith the whole Um, accretions that have come to this understanding in every age that's the task of the church and that's the task of the church's tradition is to carry all of those accretions of the articles of faith and to sift through them and to understand when humanity has an authentic insight and authentic understanding of what it is about but here we see in a way that the centuries, the millennia, that transpired between the original insights of God's people, the fullness of time that centered around the coming of Jesus Christ and centered around the apostolic age. And then we want to see in the modern world, after all of the things that have happened to this faith, a statement to this understanding of the word, All the things that have happened through the ages and that, in a sense, has never obliterated or contradicted that which is fundamentally rooted in sacred scripture. For instance, here, at various times in the past and in various different ways, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. We know now that the letter to the Hebrews is talking about the ongoing communication between God and the chosen people. That there is throughout all time a conversation going on between God and those whom he has called out of the wilderness, those he has called out of the wilderness of every age into a faithful relationship to him. He does so in the midst of conversation. And we'll see a little bit more of that as we go on in the letter. The conversation is entrusted... In the among the ancestors, we would say in the Hebrew scriptures, to the prophets. And the prophets were not fortune tellers or soothsayers or seers into the future. They sometimes predicted and they sometimes interpreted, but always their fundamental identity was to speak God's word and not their own. So when we speak in terms of prophetic... What we really mean is authentic. The prophetic voice is the voice of authenticity. It is where the voice of God is revealed to the community through a human instrumentality of a prophet. I remember, for instance, um, in some of the upheavals of the Church during the Second Vatican Council, every individual oftentimes appointed themselves a prophet. And uh, what exactly that meant, it meant whatever the person wanted it to mean, very honestly. It didn't have any substantial or universal meaning to it or or any kind of, of authority or power behind it. But the prophet speaks with authority because the prophet speaks the authentic word of God. If God wants us to know something that is, lies ahead for us, God can tell us that. But that's not the normal discourse between God and his people. The normal discourse between God and his people has to do with what we need in order to remain faithful and in that fidelity move consistently toward the fulfillment of the promise of eternal life. So all prophecy is oriented as the promise of God is toward the fulfillment of our human life, toward the fulfillment of creation, toward eternity, toward what we call heaven. And so it's interesting in the story of the visitation when Elizabeth says to Mary, calls Mary blessed because she has believed that the promise made to her would be fulfilled. The blessedness of the believer is trusting that the promise made to us is real. And I think if we stop and think about that some, that's kind of an amazing statement because we get so wrapped up in our relationship with religion, with our faith, that sometimes we become very myopic Sometimes we only see the path right directly in front of us. We lose the sense of the long-term vision, and we lose the sense of the fulfillment of the promise. And we fall, therefore, into the deceptions of the belief that the role of religion, the role of discipleship in the world, is the creation of a present earthly utopia. Now, some people who carry the name Christian in public do believe in kind of an earthly utopia, but generally speaking, no branch of Christianity does that, and certainly not the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox do not, that our belief in the fulfillment of the promise is the belief in eternal life. And we'll see just a a little bit of what that might mean as we look into Now, this word that comes to us in the letter to the Hebrews, and we'll find out a little bit about what they're talking about. So we go on then. But in our time and in the last days, he has spoken to us through his son, The son that he has appointed to inherit everything, and through whom he made everything there is. Listen now, as we hear that, go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things came to be. Not one thing had its being, but through him. All that came to be had life in him, and that life was the light of men, and so forth. So, the Son he has appointed to inherit everything and through whom he made everything, there is. There is therefore a parallel going on between the identity of the word in the prologue of the Gospel of John and the explanation of the communication of God to us in the letter to the Hebrews. <coughs> he is the radiant light of God's glory and the perfect copy of his nature. The Word was with God, the Word was God, the perfect copy of the nature of the Father. And then he is the radiant light. The light, and that life was the light of man, a light that shines in the dark, a light that darkness could not overpower. So the letter to the Hebrews is explaining to us then, in another way, the prologue of the Gospel of St. John, which means that deep within the early Christian community, there is a consciousness and awareness of the Word as the communicative power between humanity and the Trinity and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So what we're finding then is a placing of Jesus Christ firmly in the center of the Trinity and as the communicator between the Trinitarian life of God and the creation that has come to be through him. It's beginning now to draw our focus in more and more and more. And it's beginning to tell us that this idea, this generic idea of God, just as God and not as a Trinitarian God, lacks a tremendous amount of depth to it that the God, the spirit God of so many folk religions and so many kind of folk Christian expressions is in fact not something that draws us toward the truth of the revelation of God to humanity. It instead diffuses us into a greater subjectivity. And the danger of that is precisely this. When our faith, and the manifestations and expressions of our faith, do not focus on the presence of another, then there is no real communication and there is no real dialogue that goes on between God and ourselves. When we speak into the air, into the realm of spirits, into the, into the newest sphere, into the ephemeral, um, layers of the created order. That is not usually a communication. A communication is usually between persons. And that talking into the space essentially is talking to the self. Because the space is in, impersonal. And a conversation that is not focused on the other is usually a conversation with ourselves or to ourselves. This is a problem within modern society. I tell God my sins. Why should I have to go to confession? I pray in my own way and so on and so forth. All of it is avoiding that fundamental truth of human communication, of all communication, that it takes place between persons and that it takes place in a focused relationship between the speaker and the spoken to and that that is fundamentally the truth of, of our relationship with the Word of God, that we listen to the other in order that we might respond to that other. And it is because of this essential communicative nature of God and of ourselves that the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who became the incarnate Son of God in Jesus Christ, was first of all in the book of Genesis spoken, and that in the speaking, light, light, Came to be. So the Word and the light came forth from the Father. They are the same. They are not something that He does. John tells us they are something that He is. And the letter to the Hebrews is telling us that also. He is the radiant light of God's glory and the perfect copy of His nature. A perfect copy is. What it is. And so the perfect copy of his nature is that he is the same in his nature as that from which he is copied. The Father and the Son are one. He sustains the universe by his powerful command. And now that he has destroyed the defilement of sin, he has gone to take his place in heaven at the right hand of the Divine Majesty. All right. So now what he's talking about, now what we're hearing in the letter to the Hebrews is that the radiant light, the copy, the perfect copy of the Father, sustains the universe by his powerful command. Command is a spoken reality by his word. And then he goes on to say, what is the, what is the impact? What is the consequence of this conversation, of this verbal conversation, this conversation in word between God and humanity? What is that all about? It is that which sustains the universe. Now, this is is fascinating because sustain the universe by the word of God. What that means... That without the communication between God and the created order, the created order in the faith of the scriptures would cease to be. That it is in communication with the divine that the created order is, in fact, even sustained. And here, what does that say to us? We'll come certainly. Around Easter time, this is a very, very powerful image. What happens when that word of God falls silent on the cross? That's a question we ask ourselves, a question to ponder. There certainly is all sorts of indications in Scripture of the consequences of that. primary among those consequences being the return to the earth of primeval chaos. But that's the Easter mystery. What we're talking about at this stage is the beginning of that whole drama that leads us to the Easter mystery. We're talking about in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we are then, and this letter to the Hebrews is telling us that creation itself, the universe itself, is sustained by the Word of God. By the powerful Word of God. And this is important. Listen to this when we reflect and we say what the words of Scripture say to us that the Word sustains creation. And that therefore, if it is a Word, it is communicative, supremely and sublimely communicative. And when that communication stops, the implication is that the sustaining of the universe also stops. Let us let that lead us now into a conversation among ourselves about the power and the meaning of prayer. If prayer is a conversation with God and if communication is necessary for the sustaining of the universe, then prayer becomes for us a part of the very activity of life, a part of the very activity of being, a part of the great gift that those who believe in God have to offer to all humanity and the whole created order. For if we were to fall silent, in our conversation with the Word, then in the Word had no one to whom to speak, then the Word would be silent. And in the silence of the Word is the destruction of the universe. What then do we say within the church prayer is? And what is the quintessential focus point of prayer? Where is it most perfect? And where is it most powerful? And where is it most sublimely communicative? And we say it is in the liturgy. That means for us that the celebration of the sacraments and especially of the Eucharist is part of the very order of creation itself and part of the very nation part of the very nature of our being of our existence and it means then that when we focus in now on this very powerful prayer of the whole believing community that it is the sustaining of the communication between the word and the created order and that the liturgy therefore is taken up into the dynamic of being itself, the dynamic of survival, the dynamic of existence. And it is not some arcane ceremony that simply we kind of gather around and celebrate as though we were celebrating the the vernal equinox or the summer solstice or, or some other thing that attracts us or that kind of appeals to our more ascetical nature. No, that isn't, that isn't exactly what the liturgy is at all. The liturgy is part of the very nature of the universe. It is part of the very nature of the existence of the human race. And if, in fact, the liturgy were to fall silent, or if it were to turn away from a communicative relationship with the Word and become instead self-focused only about ourselves, then what we would be talking about is the retreat of humanity from any participation or interest, even in its own survival. Now that's pretty dramatic when we look at it that way. When we can say that the word as it exists sustains the universe, as Hebrews does, and the word by definition is the order of communicativeness between the living God and that which he has created, And that for that word to be communicative, there must be communication. And so the prayer of the disciples of Jesus Christ, gathered first and foremost primarily in the liturgy of the Eucharist, but in the liturgical life of all of the sacraments, that is a conversation between humanity and the word which sustains the existence of the universe, repeating it over and over again. But it is so important. How can we not reflect on that, and how can we not in some ways be awed by the power that we have to sustain the very universe in which we live and to sustain the lives of the millions, the hundreds of millions of people on our planet who neither know nor have the capacity nor the desire to communicate with the word that was God and that was with God and that through him all things came into being. And without him, nothing that came into being is. There is implicit in this communication between God and humanity, there is implicit in that the ancient dark fear of the return of primordial chaos to the earth. We experience it culturally over and over again. During the Cold War with Russia, we certainly experience in the tremendous fear of nuclear annihilation. We have all sorts of hysteria now every time that there is a major illness that sweeps the globe. Somehow or other, is this the end? Is this the return of the destructive forces and so forth? And so it is inherent within the community, but it is inherent also within every human person. For instance, I would say that in the human soul, one of the most clear and evident experiences of primeval chaos, of the failure to communicate, with the word, the sense of nothingness. Try living through a husband or a wife living through the death of their spouse whom they deeply loved. Take the experience of a young person leaving home for the first time and being incredibly, incredibly homesick. Think of young people in love who fall out of love and end up hurting each other anybody who has had those primordial experiences of emptiness, loneliness, and even fear, alienation, and separation knows something about the world if it were to live without communicating with the Word, without prayer, without the liturgy. And so today, as we reflect now on these Two passages, the Gospel of John and the Letter to the Hebrews. Let us then communicate with the Word in prayer, asking for life. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com